We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's up the pitch we go. We learn to press, now we're the best. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Alex Pithy. Goodbye, me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Up the pitch we go. No more sitting deep. No more playing back to front. Sure, we can do it too. Yeah, we can score the picture-perfect, picture-book goal back to front. We're not afraid of it. But can we go press? Can we go sit in the opposition half? Can we play our way to a victory that takes us into the top four? We can, and... In the wake of other games being postponed and canceled left and right, we are really probably consolidating our place in the top four. In fact, if they want to call off the season right now and make this the final table, they could. However, if we are the only team left playing their fixtures, then the title is clearly back on. So we have to weigh the pros and cons. Of course, we are going to get, uh, how you say, stuck into a fantastic performance, I thought, and a great win over West Ham. Uh, Really, really encouraging. And one that I think shows us a little bit of a new dimension to our football, or a dimension that while maybe we had tried it, um, I, re- I thought really shined through and, and helped us, uh, carried us to victory against West Ham. We did our first ever Academy review with George Burt and Clive uh, over on the Patreon side of things. I, I really recommend it. Um, George is just, you know, the gold standard when it comes to information about the Academy, and Clive is a person also. And then... Um, we also did an instant reaction pod that featured Clive drunk singing. So like, if that's not inducement, I don't know what is inducement, but I also don't know the definition of the word inducement here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, right before we started, you went, Oh, oh hold on. Wait, right. As I was hitting record. And then you didn't get to tell me, is it something you want to share on mic or was it going to be uh, an incredible revelation that can only I be shared off pulling up a zipper. Uh, <laughs> it's to do with the podcast. I will write it to you. Not oh, good. The, okay. Not yeah. Please, me. please write it to me. And, uh, and uh, yeah, with Paul, he's you heard him. He's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Little pause. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! Indeed. Uh, let's not waste any time. We'll get right into it. And uh, as Paul has a time limit, I will let him go first because we might lose him just before we actually get to finish. Paul, he's stuck with the same lineup that um, 
played well in patches against Southampton, but to be fair, was also the lineup that played really poorly against Everton. And so I thought it was a little bit of risk, only in the sense of like, well, are we are we giving more weight to a good half against a bad team when maybe we should be worried about the bad game against the also bad, also bad team, to be fair, in Everton? But <clears throat> I, I thought, obviously, the, the players rewarded him, maybe none more than Lacazette, and we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But... The thing that I thought was immediately different in this game and one that I, I want to get your um, take on sort of tactically. I don't think the game was great right out of the gate. I think it was more of like a wrestling match trying to come to terms with who who would have the dominance in the game. But it was clear to me that this was a game where we decided to press higher up the pitch. Maybe because we knew they had a makeshift all-change back line. We thought that was a weakness of theirs. But it is something we know we haven't done and we know we intentionally haven't done it. It's not an accident after two years of Arteta being here. And I thought it was a trigger for a lot of what made this game better and special. So I know you like to talk about pressing. It's something that you focused on in the past. Is that one of the key takeaways from this game? And and you know, do you have a sense that it might be something that's bound to be maybe reintroduced? Well, um, it's hard to know, right? But we do. We have occasionally gone after teams and pressed hard. We did it last year when we started our good run against Southampton against. Uh, Leeds when we played the in fact the Chelsea game um, that started our good run after the bad 14 games uh, and so we've had our moments and you think oh well um, maybe we're going to do this a lot and then we don't do it quite so much um, my sense is something's changed now um, f- first off we're obviously half our games are now at home but with the crowd and hopefully hopefully that stays the same mm. with the potential looming uh, increasing protocols, let alone will games be played. But he's, Arteta talks a lot about the crowd and engagement and alignment with the crowd. And that's obviously a big key for the team to keep the energy going. It's, and it's a lot harder when the other team has their crowd. So we may see a little bit of a split between home and away. I mean, obviously, I want to see us go everywhere and press everywhere. But somehow... I doubt we'll transition to a team that always has gone from um, patient build-up to pressing first. The one thing I would say is that, uh, obviously, that's what caught the eye in this game, but why not both? And in this game, we do a lot of build-up from the back as well. That's what I, I really liked about it. I think it's more sustainable for us in particular. I mean, we're just not going to be Liverpool. If you If you look at Liverpool and City, we're going to be more City than Liverpool in terms of how we handle these things. Um, uh, and we'll remember in this game, while <clears throat> the pressing may be the thing that, that kind of got etched on the eyeballs, we, you can also think back to Gabriel and White uh, passing it back and forward, back and forward, patiently waiting for the angle, and then you know maybe giving it to Party, who, who now has the open uh, line up to Saka. Um, or Chaka will then shift left and and spin it up to Tierney. Um, it wasn't all guns blazing all the time, uh, but it was clearly uh, that kind of. Uh, the other really interesting thing was that Arteta talked about Martinelli now having gears, um, and I thought this was uh, ironically Arsenal now having gears, mm. um, kind of a. Um, 
taking advantage of his phrase, but that's what we, I think that's what we're responding to. That's what we enjoyed. It wasn't just one note. Uh, and that's that can be pretty fragile unless you're as good as Liverpool at doing it. You, you can't do that everywhere all the time. And I thought this was balanced uh, in terms of approaches, balanced from back to front and on both sides of the pitch. We had attacks on both sides um, and partnerships that the, were the thing that really st- stuck out in this. And we'll, I'm sure as we talk through the podcast today, we'll see a lot of talk about pa- partnerships. But it was clear that even when we were pressing, Arteta was, there was one point it was in the second half uh, when Odegaard uh, buzzed past him chasing somebody and Arteta runs right beside the two of them and he screams, like (laughs) Odegaard has enough on his plate and Arteta's right behind him screaming at him to press even harder. Um, And so... Arteta uh, was a madman on the touchline in this game. Yeah. <laughs> he was kicking every ball. He was in, a, in every challenge. It was uh, And it was whatever we were doing wasn't enough. So he yeah. was really communicating energy, energy, energy. And Well, uh, well yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think the nice thing is we've had big – like the Everton and United games were big games because they were chances given the way the season is broken to go take a place in the top four and, and potentially even really consolidate it. And I think in past seasons, losing those games might have been fatal. And this season – you're going to get your chances again. And this was another big game against the team we most immediately and urgently need to jump over and put in our rearview mirror. And it was a a case of us taking a big game by the scruff of the neck and and being attack-oriented, I I think being aggressive in wanting to win the game instead of trying to nullify the opposition. It was just, it was a great way to approach a game like this. I really enjoyed it. Now, granted, it's at home, and we can we can discuss home and away differences maybe a little later another day. But, like, Clive, the thing that I also like is I think smart teams identify the weakness of the opposition and really target it. And in the past, I've sometimes felt like we are a team that prioritizes covering our own weaknesses first and then worrying about the opposition's weaknesses second. But the way we really targeted, maybe it was the players figuring it out, maybe it was a plan, but targeted that right side with Odegaard and Saka combining to go after Masuoko and and I think that's his name anyway. <clears throat> Masuaku, uh, yeah. The sorry. Rudiger looking um, bastard. Well, the the point is they weren't very good on that side of their defense and they did have a a ropey makeshift back line, but I love the way we attacked that. And I thought Saka and Odegaard really got us once we came to grips with the game a bit, probably after 20 or 30 minutes and really started to punish them on that side. I thought Saka was brilliant. While we will definitely get to Martinelli and, and his fantastic goal and what we think of that player, you know, in a big game, your big players are the ones that sort of start to get the control and start to create the pressure. And and Saka really did that. And I thought Odegaard was key to that. So do you want to talk maybe a little bit about that combination specifically on the right-hand side and how we use that to start to break down West Ham? Do I, do I have to? Can I do a bit? <laughs> do, you want, do, you want, do you want to go pressing first? Yeah, a little bit, please, man. Okay, sure. I think, yeah, sure. I, I do want to talk about Saka and, and Odegaard. I will, though, so I will absolutely. I will, I will, yeah. It, All right, I will, I will, I will grant you a hall pass to just do, uh, do what well, it says here. I think we it was, always do. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was quite clear that we were switching into that space a lot really early, and, and that was the dope we found in the back line, and we, and we went for him, right? So, um, But what I will say, and I'm not one for this, so you're going to have to excuse my biases. I felt in the Southampton game we were very competitive early as well. That 15, 20 minutes that you were nervous in, Elliot, I felt that was just two teams going for each other. When they had the ball, we was all over them. We had the ball. They were trying to press us off the ball. Until the spaces then appear... And you heard an old football phrase, you have to comp- compete for the right to play. 
That's what we saw in the early stages of the West Ham game as well. Every inch counted. We were pressing them. They were pressing us. Until we don't. Until we have secure build-up. Until we can get into our shape. Until we can create that central, almost diamond in the middle of the pitch. Which I'm really starting to like. Leaving our two sprinters out wide. So you almost have a diamond with um, party in the middle. Shaka to the left. Odegaard to the right. With Lacazette at the tip. And then you have a situation with the two sprinters just waiting on the outside. So they're working up and down, trying to get combinations played with the outside tip of their diamond. So Shaka on the left-hand side, Nodegaard on the right-hand side. And you create little triangles there with the fullbacks pushing in behind. And I'm starting to really like it. Because what happens is you protect your central zone where you lose the ball, but you know where you're springing to on the outside. So this balance having two sprinters, I love it. I really like it. And I think that that central area is where Smith Rowe will come into eventually and where we will see the rotation to control the, the interior of the team with the brains, the experience, to be able to spread the ball into, into our youthful running players on the outside with the fullbacks in, included. And so on the right-hand side, it was, it was really interesting. I felt this was quite impressive. Granite Shaka actually on some occasions, some of his feet movement around receiving the ball and getting it out wide a little bit slow and some of the decisions were a little bit off so he made what I call open field mistakes which are easy for the fan to see and I think I get a bit cheesed off with that because I think party stuff with that as well and I think but you don't see the unbelievable dirty work that Shaka does and party does to make sure we retain the ball and switch the play and I thought Shaka's switches to the right hand side were excellent and he was he was pinging them out to Saka. He was getting his isolations, getting into his movements quickly, creating combinations, and we absolutely killed them out there. I mean, it was grievous bodily harm for that poor fullback, <laughs> right? It really was. And watching that could be the best game I've seen Saka play, if I'm honest with you. And I said that I'm sure I said that a week before. I mean, it was just incredible how he attacked him, how he moved him, how he how he popped it off one time, then ran at him, went inside, outside. Odegaard just in behind him, just giving him the ball back really quickly. You're the hot hand. You have it. You have it. You have it. Go on. I'm behind you. Do you want it back? Yeah, use me as a wall. You have it. Just go. Go for him. Go for him. That's really intelligent play for Odegaard to recognise. It It doesn't have to be about him. He knew who the hot guy was. He knew where the joy was. So how can I get the ball to the top man as quick as possible? Then maybe I'll get it back into a position where I can actually help switch out to the other side. So... Very intelligent play from from both of them, really. So, so I'm again. I always say to that pressing is not my thing because I just think it's competition. Competition means I want to make sure I affect their entry and the pass into their forward. We do not want to give them time so they can ping it into the corner so we're running backwards. So let's get after them, and that's just a game model for me. That's what you should do. Right, let's get after them. They're not very good on the ball at the back there. Suchek's not great on the ball. Dawson's a very good penalty box defender. He's not great on the ball. Um, so, yeah, let's get after them. Put, put some pressure on their technique. And let's get the ball back and control the game. And I thought we did that really, really well on the day and really targeted them in wide spaces superbly. Yeah, and there's there's so much to like about the way we approach this game. But I, I do think even when you approach a game well, you still need individuals to win their duels or, or be dominant in their moments, their, their matchups. And I thought Saka absolutely did that. I mean, there, there's a lot to like about the way we approach this game. And, and by the way, this now makes us, I, I believe it's right to say, we now have the most wins and the most points accrued at home of any team in the league. So clearly 
you know, there is a clicking going on there. And whether it's the second half against Southampton, the way we put against Newcastle, the Villa game, um, parts of the Watford game, the, you know, this, this game certainly, you know, I, I think for me, I, you're, I'm always sort of squinting to say, do I see, we've talked about this. Do you see football that can be long-term successful football that can bring you the points you need to not just be top four someday, but to start to talk about getting up to the top of the table and at, at a minimum at home, absolutely do see it. You see some pressing, you see more territorial dominance. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers. Um, Scott mentioned them on the instant reaction, and so I'm going to approximate them. But like the average starting position for Arsenal possessions was like 50-ish, 53 yards from goal. And the average starting position for a West Ham possession was over 70 yards from goal. So you know, I think that's really, really relevant because, and, and then you say, well, why did West Ham, you know, take so few shots? Why were we able to hold them, you know, to, to so little threat? Well, that's what happens when a team has to try to play all the way through you. And so Mikel Antonio had no shots in the game. Only the second time this season, he's been held without a shot. And the other game was Manchester City. And that's a team that does the same thing to you, right? It keeps you so far from the goal that you can't do much. He, he managed two touches in the penalty area. So it, it sounds so obvious, but when the opposition is far from your goal and you're close to theirs, you're probably going to win that game. Um, you know, and you can go read Scott's by the numbers column. He's got the field tilt thing, and it's just all red for Arsenal, like for, for the majority of the game, which which really is a thrill to see. Um, you know, I, I think, well, Paul, let's, let's talk just quickly about penalty incidents. I know we're sort of skipping forward, but there were so many of them. There were two in the first half. There was the one, I think two were in the first half. One was in the second half. And this plays into what I was talking about, about being more aggressive and being up the pitch and being in the penalty area. Um, I don't know for sure. People get mad at me. I don't know for sure if any of the three penalty incidents are penalties. I think every single one of them has a shout for being a penalty. And every single one of them has the argument you can make for them not being a penalty. I think the point, and this is why, you know, we wind up getting the penalty in this game and getting the two red, the two yellow cards and the red card. When you are a team that is constantly driving into the box at pace, running at defenders in the box, lots of box touches, forcing them to make last ditch tackles, or you know, a fullback gets beaten, a center back has to come across to try to rescue a situation. You're gonna have a lot of incidents. And if you have enough incidents and put the referee under enough pressure, eventually, eventually a call goes your way. And, you know, barring VAR intervening, you're going to get the call. And I think it starts with the players shithousing a little. Tierney holding his face and the players rushing to defend him when, you know, there's really very little in it. Lacazette, we know, did that and does it quite a bit. Uh, there was there was a little bit of the dark arts, a little bit of putting pressure on the referee, and it's something that you have to do because the margins are so fine in football. But, but Paul, what's your take on the penalty incidents and the idea that being in the box more and creating more incidents means the jammy deflected goals and the close penalty incidents are going to start to go your way more? Yes, yes, yes. Um, look, I think you we could have had in the first half, something like three or four penalty shouts, not necessarily three or four penalties, but three or four shouts, which tells us we're putting them under tremendous pressure in their box. It's basically uh, us stressing them. Um, the actual penalty we won at the time, I didn't think it was a penalty. Um, and then later on reflection, I'm like, uh, he doesn't get much of the ball. And these days, 
uh, if you go sliding in and you're not really in control and he's not, he wipes out Lacazette and you don't get much ball, um, that's probably going against you. And what we really had was we had them on toes to that point. Um, we had Saka uh, kicking into the back of the dude's leg who got his leg just in front of him. We had, had a very similar situation with Party, but I think that one was just outside the box. And it was basically all last-ditch stuff from them. And Mac, McManaman on the commentary team and the other guy, Fletcher, going on about how Dawson was basically world-class uh, was sickening to a point that I loved the karmic um, demise of Dawson on the Martinelli goal. He just got run all over the place, lost, miles behind, straggling after him for the goal, and we just tore them a new one. Uh, I think all of that penalty box stuff, um, that's where we want to be playing. That's where we want to be putting them under stress. And I think the the kind of cause and effect of it is that's what happens when you have them on the rack for long enough and you stretch them and you move them one way or another and they don't know which way's going and which way you're going and they're lunging in. And uh, at the time, I thought it was a penalty we earned without actually being a penalty on on reflection. Having heard other people talk about it, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 kind of four times out of five they'll give that as a penalty. Um, I thought we it was a reflection of dominance in terms of pressure and in terms of territory, and uh, yeah, we earned that. Yeah, I just think that. You know, football is a very simple game with very few incidents that decide a match. And a goal is enough to win. You know, 1-0 will win you some games. 1-0 to the Arsenal will do, right? I mean, uh, one one goal would have been enough to win this game. And so anything you can do that increases the likelihood of incidents happening that can lead to you scoring a goal and reduce the opposition doing it sounds so simple. But, like, the the, the whole concept of variance is that it's hard to score a goal, and you're going to need along the course of the season a jammy penalty, a deflected shot that goes in. We got unlucky, actually. Saka had a beautiful opportunity set up from, was it from Martinelli? Um, slid back, and he, he yep. hits it side foot first time, and it deflects, and it goes just past the post. You know, more of those instances. Oh, 20 shots in this game, eventually it's going to break for you. And so, uh, you know, I think there are games where you get lucky. There are games where you get unlucky. But there are games like this where the – the amount of territory you control, the amount of shots you take, the amount you dominate, the critical moments in the game, you earn the right to say you won that game. And we absolutely did that. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I think your point on, on Lacazette, like, he's thrown himself around all the time. He's earning free kicks. He's keeping us up the pitch. Um, dark arts needs a bit of a PR job and just call itself arts because this is football. And... Uh, like he led, he's led the team now in some ways in different dimensions on the pitch. But we, like Arteta talked about us being naive uh, in the past and how we needed to do more of that, not less of that. And you need this stuff. Uh, if you're going to have territory, you need to throw yourself around a bit. I actually think that could have been quite painful on Tierney that it wasn't an elbow, but it was still an elbow. Yeah, but no, it was he, straight arm, but it was, yeah, right. He did get him, catch him in the face. Yeah, but he, these he, guys let, he are, let you know about it. <laughs> well, these guys have big arms. Like, those, <laughs> like uh, I don't think you and I have ever played against players with arms like that. That shit, like, 
Tierney if your doesn't arm have brushed much. my face. I'd be in the emergency room. Come on, I mean, I'm not calling myself a hard bastard. Let's be honest. Yeah. So I, I often think it didn't look that bad, but a bit, bit of still hurts like a mother. But Tierney is a face grabber, right? He, he grabs his face when it hit him in the chest or hit him in the ankle. Um, yeah. And he play, you know, he comes from a place where the game is hard, and you need that shit. We need more of it. Yeah. And it, it's a reward for pressure and territory. And until the rules change, we need to be, we don't need to be the worst, but we need to get our share. Yeah. I mean, just, just let the ref know what's going on and make, make sure that the, the little niggly stuff doesn't go unnoticed because that, that does help you in the long run. Um, yeah, we get kicked all over the pitch. Well, sack, um, no more than sack, no one more than Saka too. Yeah. Um, well, well, Clive, I want to make sure that we don't get so uh, stuck into the tactical stuff that we miss the performances that really deserve special praise. We talked a bit about Sack already, but I think we should absolutely talk about Lacazette. And it gives me a chance to sort of really quickly shuffle by, nothing to see here, uh, an Aubameyang mention, just to say that he's not going to be available for Leeds again. Lacazette and Aubameyang are good friends, and or certainly appear to be friendly, um, based on what we know from the outside. And for Lacazette to get the start in the wake of what's happening and put in what I think might be his best Arsenal performance in memory, not saying his best ever, just the best one I can remember, even with the penalty miss notwithstanding, it shows a lot of character and it definitely shows a commitment to the manager over any loyalty there might be to the player. And I think that's a good sign <clears throat> uh, to, to Aubameyang in this case. I also think that he... You know, he it was this wasn't just about graft and hard work, which we praise him for. There was a lot of quality, beating men, dragging the ball beyond someone, really good first touches to set himself away. So it was really harsh that he missed the penalty because it would have been, I mean, if there had been a sucker punch in this game, it would have been an awful game for him to have to wear that after the performance he put in. But I thought, Clive, this was you know, this was every everything you could ask of Lacazette. I mean, he he has his limitations as all players do, but in this game, I thought he did a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I can't help but talk about him based on how the game was set up. And I think West Ham were there. I thought watching them, I had a good view in the stadium. Their setup defensive was really, really good. They really did try their best to block those central areas and to force us wide. And, and we took those wide options and we fizzed it out there and we got after them, right? And I think they sort of thought they'd be able to get out there and double up and triple up and quadruple up and, and that will stop us. But as we saw with Saka, it didn't. So they, But what they did originally was they stayed really, really close centrally into a real central block. So when we fizzed the ball into Lacazette, it's very important that he was combative. He knew which way to turn. He knew how to buy fouls to, to make sure they didn't get ways of attack. So they wanted us to go into him so he could nick it and then spring onto us and create transitions. So his ability to control the referee, control the pace, retain the ball when he could, and then spread it to the next phase of attack, which I've been talking about for a while that we haven't done, just made us look so much better. So you now see Arsenal in a way where we've got two players in the interior that can create the next phase into the wide spaces. And when we get into the wide spaces, we look very, very good. And I thought tactically he was excellent, so wise, he was the captain on the pitch. He was so wise in his movement. And even when he, you know, there were times there, and when you're watching a game, I walk away and I think, oh man, you look tired there. But actually, I, I think he's being more efficient. There are times when he's walking, but he's picking the right moments to rest. He's picking, he knows when to rest. He knows when to walk. 
when you watch it and you're nil-nil, you think, come on, man, you can do a bit more. When you look at it afterwards, you think, actually, when we needed you, you were there. You were there for your mate. You were there to make sure you slowed the referee down. You were there to get that foul. So you created your own momentum. So then eventually his movement was so proactive and so positive and so unselfish that on the goal, he rolled into midfield and they just they just didn't go with him because they weren't they were just sick of trying to get him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and he and then he turns Can around. Can I add and, something, Clive? Uh, one of the things that happened when he dropped in for that was Martinelli dropped in at the same time. It's not the way I remembered it uh, live, yeah. but but like yeah. they both drop in and Suchek sees Martinelli and kind of goes that way. And and like it's the movement of that front five in their different pockets. Um, I don't know if that was a planned move, but it sure looked to no. me like something. That no, I think I think uh, if you look at Lacazette, he basically played like a like a, a false nine, number ten, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't really matter. He wasn't as true stick on. I'm going to run away number nine all day. So he was all about combination, and so they both, as the player advances they are looking to show their boots, right? So they roll to show their boots. And he picked Lacazette as a, as a passing option. And then as soon as he rolls short, you've got to have someone, you know, you know my linking and stretching. As soon as Lacazette links, who's going to stretch? That's where Martelli is so good because he loves to stretch the play, right? So he immediately sees, well, it's not me to link. I better stretch. Bang, turns around, bang, goes. And now it's a race. It's a race with Sufas, a race with Dawson. And... Dawson is not a good race runner out. No, he was playing West Brom last year, so he's done really well, right? So he's he's not a great runner outside of the box, you know. So it was a running race, and and he lost by about five yards. So so the intelligence of the movement of Lacazette created the pocket for him to for Marte to run into, but then to turn around and have that soft touch with the pace of pass that absolutely just means that uh, Martelli can only have two touches. One touch to set it, run around it, side foot, side netting. Yeah. Goal. Yeah. The the interesting thing when you look at Lacazette, his number one most common pass that he played was to Martinelli. And when we talk about the Firmino role, you know, one of the things, I, we've sort of laughed at Lacazette being the Firmino role because Firmino is so elite at it, but he also has very elite end product oriented uh, wide forwards on either side. And this is not a knock on Emil Smith-Rowe, who we'll get to and did score a goal, oh, by the way. But Emil Smith-Rowe is going to play that left-wing position a little differently than Martinelli is. And I think Martinelli's urgency to dive into the box, to run him behind, to to push those fullbacks back, maybe that just gave Lacazette that that little bit more comfort in terms of the pass he wanted to play and ultimately that that pass that he makes for the goal. Uh, you I know, just- one thing... Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. I go on to that because we're talking about your your love child team, Liverpool, here, right? That they well, 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 well. <laughs> I just want to win titles in Champions League. I mean, I don't. No, I got no love for Liverpool. I just want to do. Lady doth protest. Every I single. Want, I want to steal their girl. I want to be yeah. Mister Steal Yo Girl. Their girl is is the Champions League and the title. And I want to. I want to be Mister Steal Yo Girl. I, I want the title. I want the Champions League. That's what I this, want. This was the closest to Liverpool Arsenal I've seen. Right, so the reason why the, when Paul's alluded to it as well, you, and you and you saw it too earlier, is the balance was better, right? It was better with the with the interior of the way it was. Lacazette now has a job, knowing he hasn't got to huff and puff to get to the penalty box first because Martelli was doing it and Saka was sprinting in as well. So you know, there's a, you can ask yourself now: is there an even better balance with me throwing that inside role playing with 
Lacazette. I think potentially there could be on certain days, without a doubt, and that's a and that's the competition we need to create. But Liverpool play with a diamond too in there. You know, Firmino is a to- is a tip of their diamond. And Fabinho is the base of their diamond, and they have two eights on either side. That's what they do, and the fullbacks pushing. We were much more like them in our system, with Saka playing the Salah role really, really well. And and this is, and I I like this. I don't know about you guys, but I like this. If you're looking, I'm always looking for the, the next phase, and the next phase of Arsenal is pretty clear to me what we need as a centre forward. It's pretty clear what we need to do to add another attacking mid to that group to make sure we can have the ability to rotate for when we're back into those European competitions next year. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing about Lacazette that I want to say, and, and this, look, this is my analysis. And then uh, Paul, you can come back in on this. Um, I think this goes back to contracts and players wanting contracts versus players having contracts. The ugly side of football is that these players are trying to earn a living. They're trying to make themselves millionaires. And while that's not the only thing that motivates them, it's a pretty big motivating factor. In American sports, we have a thing we call the contract year. When a player's in a contract year, they tend to be real good. You know why? Because they're trying to show that they deserve that contract. And you always want the player playing for his next contract rather than the player getting fat on his last contract. And setting Aubameyang aside for a minute, who doesn't need to play well ever again. His last big, big millions are locked up and secure, and he's going to get them, even if he never steps on the pitch again. Lacazette is going to leave on a free, I would think. I kind of hope. I mean, even though I love him. Um, And he wants to get a big, big final payday somewhere. It's his last contract he's going to get. So Lacazette has a massive incentive to go out there. Whatever's happening in the background, whatever distraction, whatever loyalty, you know, Aubameyang's my friend. Oh, yeah, well, I got to take care of my family for generations. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play the absolute best hair-on-fire football I can. And someone's going to give me a lot of money at the end of the season. And that is, you know what the funny thing is? Like, not to go all Gordon Gecko, greed works. But like, that's okay. Those incentives work. Arsenal want players that play great on the pitch. And players want to play great on the pitch so they get compensated. And I think there is a bit of that. But that is uh, sort of the mundane business of football nonsense no one's here to hear. So Paul, you want to add a little bit more on the uh, the dynamic there with our our wonderful, sensational striker that we've all always wanted to be our starter? <laughs> well, I, I've been I've been plugging the Lacazette case for a long time now. But I'm no, not sure look, you have, Paul, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> Don't bite, Sam. Oh, Don't I've bite. heard you saying Enkedia should start. <laughs> in, the, in, in the WhatsApp, it's all, we should start Enkedia and Balogun. Last year, when everybody <laughs> said he joke, sucked Paul, and he dropped Paul. and he didn't. Uh, Recognize oh, okay. when you've won the argument. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, partnerships. Him and Martinelli, like I do think is going to be uh, – a challenge, a, a great challenge, and that, and one Smith Rowe will rise to. And really, it's not a challenge for Smith Rowe; it's a challenge for Arteta to get all these guys in the team and moving them around. But Martinelli playing from the left, uh, he's doing the Aubameyang role as Arteta saw it, but better. Uh, I, and like I'm going to say this again, I'm not getting stuck into Aubameyang because like it's it uh, it's just not fair. I like the guy. And 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 that's a whole other conversation. But actually, for that role from the left, Martinelli looks like he's your man. His uh, those runs he makes, he makes the complementary diagonal run in behind that is not Lacazette's strength. 
it's what he needs. It's Firmino with Mane, or, or, and Sa- uh, as Clive so aptly put, we could, Saka's staying high and wide like Salah did, to, uh, pulling three guys over to that side. That's that's how many players they needed out there to keep Salah quiet, and it didn't work. Um, but but that partnership there, and I think the other brilliant uh, thing that Clive talked about early on in uh, I saw it, but I can't describe it the way Clive did. The partnership with Chaka and and Party is not about how clean their passing might look in open field. It's just a really good partnership. Um, you just watch those guys uh, sitting in the middle of the field, and we often think about Chaka being off to the left as we described, spinning up the middle. But actually, if you look at their pass maps across ninety minutes, it's pretty balanced. Chak um, has a few more touches, but it's basically very square. Those two guys in front of the two center backs. So they're, those guys are moving around, interchanging, understanding each other. 90% of the football they played in midfield was without the ball. Uh, it's positioning, it's making themselves available. Um, it's, that was a really good partnership. And ahead of them was a partnership mm. to Lacazette and Martinelli that could be one for the ages. Um, and I think Mikel Arteta has some magic beans. He's the guy who was given the cow to take off to market because they needed something. Um, and that cow was Pepe, then it was, actually it was Ozil, then it was Pepe, then it was Obama Yang, and he somehow came back with a golden goose for each position through luck rather than brilliance or brilliance rather than luck, depending on your your biases, and we've got Martinelli for Aubameyang, we've got Saka for Pepe, and we've got Smith-Rowe Odegaard at this point, but we actually had to buy a cow uh, for the Odegaard position (laughs) for this analogy. And somehow we've replaced for almost no money uh, our three most uh, costly positions with guys who are really hitting the heights and, uh, you know, look and credit and, and whatever we've, we've somehow, uh, got a team to go forward with that's doing all the things he wanted to do, uh, created from whole cloth we happen to have in our cupboard somewhere. Um, but partnerships, uh, and that Martinelli Lacazette thing is not something you want to throw away quickly. Yeah, I, I, and I think the challenge, I mean, and this is, it is a weird sort of breathless thing about Arsenal fans and absolutely myself, probably chief among them, the captain of the group I'm about to say. And, and I don't know, I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of other teams, so maybe this happens in other fan cultures, but like we panic about who's not going to be in the starting 11. Clive loves to ridicule me about it. He loves to be in the chat on the live stream, not on the live stream, but in the chat on the live stream saying, oh, talking about starting 11s again, Elliot. <clears throat> but yes, like that worry of like, oh no, if Martinelli's good, Smithrow won't start. Like, well, guess what? Smithrow came on and scored the goal that put this out of reach. Like there's a role for everyone. I do think playing higher up the pitch, having an average starting position much closer to their goal brings certain players into the game in ways that they don't like when we're trying to play all the way back to front. I think Emil Smith Rowe is more suited to link the play and connect midfield to attack when we're able to win the ball in the attacking third or up the pitch. I think Martinelli's hard running, you know, and directness 
is a tremendous weapon. I mean, he also, some of the stuff he did, there was a Shaka giveaway, and he just drops in, takes the ball right off the other player, and away he goes. So many nearly moments in this game, by the way, that we won't get to. Saka putting it across the box for Shaka to just whiff at it. Martinelli had one he just didn't quite get to. Lacazette, two. Clive, go ahead and um, stop me. I had nothing important to say. <laughs> no, I just wanted to uh, <laughs> I just wanted to add something, and I just checked it because I felt it, and it looked, I'm glad it worked out fine. <laughs> so we're doing the... Uh, sang the thing with Tommy Asu, right? So yeah. we're building play and when we need to, and the two centre-backs are slick, they drop in and we do our bit and then we build out. We've seen that obviously in the first goal against Southampton. So we can do that thing. But when it's not on, uh, Ramsdale just pushes everybody up and he pushes everybody to the right. So they'll compact and squeeze over from to the right-hand side and he kicks it to Tommy Asu, who wins the ball into a compact field and this is where Shaka and Party do the unseen work to win those collisions, to win those duels, to set us off. To set us off. And that will guess explain... Who had, guess who won the most headers for Arsenal in the game? Surprise uh, answer, by the way. Shaka. Shaka. <laughs> Shaka. Yeah. Great. yeah. To your point, right? He's in yeah. there mopping up with Tommy Asu and defensively. It's a second, it's second, ball, second ball game, right? So we spoke the other day about second ball. So we're not very, we weren't very good at it. We weren't very competitive. We weren't very engaged. We engaged, competed. So so to your point, Elliot, why the numbers were better, our distances were better from when we started our attack, it was really goalkeeper Tommy Asu, bits and pieces, get it from there and we go. And then we, when we had to build, we had the variation of build up, we weren't doing it the whole time, getting nervous. So the selection from Ramsdale on what to do when I thought was excellent. We have an exit now on that right-hand side. The fact that um, we've got Tommy... The right-hand side for me has been a, it's been transformational. The fact that our top pass combination was Tommy to, to Saka is what you want. Saka in your top pass combination, absolutely fantastic. You want that. You want the golden child having the most passes to his boots. This is This is... Good stuff. This is efficient use of your resources, varied points of attack, not just doing the same thing all of the time. And man, I am tactically best game of the season so far, without a doubt. Yeah. <clears throat> now, look, I want to get to Martinelli and really just luxuriate in his excellence. I want to talk about the Smith Rowe goal. Maybe, I mean, look, we're. We're 40 minutes in, but there's a lot of praise that's deserved for the center backs. I thought Ben Ben White had a great game, Gabriel too. Um, so there's a lot still in this, but there is also the Leeds game coming up, and there's a challenge <clears throat> because Leeds have like three available first team players. And so, you know, as we look forward to that game, the one thing that I think is clear is that Leeds, they're going to have to come up with some players to put on the pitch, and they may be looking to hire some new players. And I think, you know, we, I don't want to help our opposition. But I think it's only fair in the sporting sense to let Leeds know that if they need to hire some new players, um, they need to put together an all-star team, and their front office needs an all-star roster, and they need Indeed. In fact, you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Maybe some short-term loan deals from the championship? I don't know. Because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Maybe Cedric can go to them. Right back. Do they need one? Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Assist uh, Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. It's basically Bielsa just saying, can you run at top speed for 90 minutes straight? 
What are your thoughts on Murderball? With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes and uh, on Indeed match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. With Indeed's Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Maybe we shouldn't have leads do this before our game. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit. There you go, leads. You can get a $75 player. We would be okay with that. To upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash vision, $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply including that you are not allowed to beat Arsenal. Need to hire? You need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Smooth, smooth link, mate. Smooth link. Thanks, what else leads needs? They need to be streamlined. <clears throat> they need to be groomed for their lady. Marcello Bielsa needs to be ready for his Christmas. We only have one sponsor on this episode. Oh, sorry, sorry. We're not, we're, sorry. We're not giving away free sponsorships. <laughs> if Manscaped wants back on the episode, they know, they know where to find me. We love Manscaped too, but Indeed, come on. Get to hiring. Now, um... Paul, since you're just about out of time and it would be really unfair not to let you wax poetic about Gabriel Martinelli, um, look, the tedious debate of, I think he could be our striker. Like, that's right up my alley. That's what I would like to spend an hour doing, but it's really pointless. Lacazette had a brilliant game. Martinelli had a brilliant game on the left. We have lots of versatility and options that we can go to. Um, I think what Martinelli is showing is that now that he has the shirt, he sure as heck doesn't want to give it back. His good games are a little bit different than like a sack of good game, right? Saka's roasting guys left and right, clean touches, lots of dangerous moves at his feet. Martinelli is a little more of a chaos agent, but he just screams end product. His his urgency to get into the box, his tigerishness winning the ball back, you know, he he ends the game with cramp, which is no surprise the way he runs around. But the goal, I think the the, the thing I don't like about calling him a chaos agent and praising his running and talking about how he does everything at 100 miles an hour is... Those kinds of comments, I really think underplay his technical quality. That run is intelligent. It's not just, you know, direct and chaotic. It's intelligent. The first touch to set himself up is perfect. And the composure to open his body, I mean, it's full Thierry on refinish. Struck beautifully, knows where the goal is, only needs one look, right in the corner where it can't be saved. That is not just chaos. That is pure class and quality. So, you know, I do sort of wonder what you think we get that's different when Martinelli plays and just in general, the the level up he has now that he's getting some regular game time after a pretty long period after his injury where he was pretty far outside the, outside of the team. I think he gives us the shock you get when you suddenly get thrown into ice cold water um, when to their defense, right? He just pops up into areas in the space of a moment uh, you know those movies where like Dracula zooms across the floor without his feet moving and stuff. He just moves into spots that defenders aren't expecting him to get there that quick, that suddenly, and and at a speed. So he just arrives um, like you just see the most powerful athletic bursts. And as I say, he's he actually drops to the same depth as. Uh, Lacazette for the goal, and he he sees it's on. He spins, turns, hits the afterburners, uh, blows past the fullback and the centre back, leaves them in his wake, gives him the time to pick a shot, and he is in. The, he's always had an instinct for a goal. Like 
Um, this is not something you'll has, have to cultivate. We've seen brilliant instinctual headers from him. We've seen first-time clips. The, the, the goal against it was Newcastle, wasn't it? The one over his shoulder. I mean, uh, that's, that's just a class, instinctual, knowing where the ball's coming, knowing how hard to hit it, knowing how much it dip. Uh, he's got a real instinct. And he could have had another goal in this game. I think he went with the one where he uh, darted in, um, yeah. goalkeeper uh, uh, Fabianski uh, kind of goes low but big. And he goes, Martinelli uses his left foot. And that's one where, um, I mean, I'm no expert in these matters, but I think he can, he can clip it over if he actually uses his other foot, if he kind of swaps them around as he's walking there, not from one side of his body to the other, but in terms of his steps, gets his steps right so he can get a right foot on that. And those kinds of things around the penalty box, he'll get sharper on those quick little decisions. But the instinct for where goal is, the guy's a shot monster. He's always been a shot monster. Yeah, four uh, shots in this game had something like <clears throat> 0.8 expected goals and created chances, just everything's end product. Yep. Yeah, and the only reason he hasn't been a shot monster in more recent times is because we haven't been in the final third. We get him into the final third, uh, suddenly our numbers will go up. He's, he, he's going to get shots off that other people wouldn't have got to, wouldn't have got. And he's uniquely our only run-in behind into the box guy at the moment. Um, he's direct... Uh, but he's added those other aspects. I think uh, Arteta has touched on what we all maybe suspected was the issue in that he was a little too much 100 miles per hour all the time, every time. And Arteta is looking for somebody who's folded into the overall game plan and is looking to make his choices about when he does what. I think the other thing that keep that will very much help keep him on the pitch is uh, his... Like, if you're a coach, what you want is two really dangerous wide guys who are really good for getting back and defending, and you don't have to tell them twice. And he's got Saka on one side, Martinelli on the other. Uh, and Martinelli has never shirked uh, getting back, making tackles. It was just his kind of decision-making as to where to be and where the rest of the, the team was and you know, what his role would be defensively. And he just looks a lot smarter about that side of things. His touch, uh, dropping into midfield, the pass selections, he's not, you know, he's being, he's more in tune with with what the flow is, where to play the pass. All that stuff's going to keep him on the pitch more and more. And he just looks more confident. The nutmeg on uh, Suchek, in the second half. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. <laughs> right in the middle of the pitch, too. And and not like an extravagant moment, but, you know, he gets it to party and away we go, you know? Yeah. To be fair, uh, Bandy Suchek is a nutmegger's wet dream. But still, that's he, he, like, puts his foot on it, basically rolls it through his legs with his studs. It's it's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. But but it, <clears throat> it spoke... It wasn't all for show as well. I... I I think it spoke to a guy who was calm, feeling his place on the pitch and thought, oh, I can just roll it through that bandy fucker's legs and I'm into open field and can swing it into midfield. And he could. He's doing a really nice job swinging the ball into midfield so we can go up the other side too, so we can go from side to side and move them around. Uh, That with with switch passes from Chaka and Party, 
you know, we're starting to really move oppositions around so that we don't have to keep banging in crosses and plenty of our attacks were up the middle um, and we've got threats on both sides. We used to think we were a, a left-dominated dominate, attack and now you might even say we were more attacking down the right to, uh, in this game and yet so much threat down the left with Martinelli. Uh, partnerships in, in each area of the pitch and that Lacazette, when Lacazette's feeding you and he knows what a striker needs, uh, Martinelli's in good shape there. And, yeah. and, and yeah, the other way around, Martinelli found Lacazette as well and put him through. Uh, that might be, was that for the penalty? Yeah. Yeah, so like they're building an understanding that's really nice to see. Yeah, I mean, you've got the odegaard saka partnership on the right, yep. <clears throat> Lacazette building one with with Martinelli on the left, um, which I think maybe crowded Tierney out a little bit in this game. It's not that I thought Tierney was bad, but not a ton of crosses. He not ended a lot up of having a secondary Tierney. role, but even on that goal, right, he, he doesn't do anything spectacular, but he's holding the width, which pulls out the full back. You, you can yeah. see the Soufal moving out towards Tierney before thinking, holy shit, Martin. I'm just saying it means he's, he's less of the direct left-sided yeah. threat, right? Like when we play with, with other more inside forwards yep. um, on the left, then Tierney becomes the left wing threat. Martinelli takes that role in this game and Tierney takes a little bit more of a complimentary role, which I think is a better position anyway. I know, by the way, Tierney still almost ropes a stunning goal into the upper mm. left corner uh, that Fabianski claws away. So I, I want to stay on Martinelli for a second, but Paul is out of time. So we're going to let Paul go. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! And as always, leave that browser open, my friend. All right, Clive, we're not done with um, Martinelli yet. And one thing I think is a sign of great players. We've had a lot of players that we might describe as Goldilocks players recently where we said, well, if they just play in this position or if we just get to this point of the pitch or we just do this, they'll be really good. Um, but sometimes the great players show you they're great because you put them on the pitch and they just make an impact. Santi Cazorla was a forward for us when he joined. Dropped him into midfield and it's like, oh, he's still just fantastic because what a special player. Bukayo Saka, left back, looks good. Left wing looks great. No, don't move him to the right. He's like, oh, he's just as good on the right because it turns out he's just fantastic. Martinelli comes in against, was it Watford the goal? Newcastle? So. I, I, you know what? I, my, my brain doesn't work so well, but like he plays on the right. He makes an intelligent run over the shoulder volley. Stunning. This game plays on the left. Beautiful inside run. Tyrion reopens his body and passes it into the, into the far post. Like he just is a good player who is going to get you goals and assists when he's on the pitch. And I I do wonder what you think we can do to make sure that we're able to use him more, how he fits in the rotation. I'm not trying to say let's go full whiskers. Oh no, does this mean Smith Rowe doesn't play and Martinelli does? Not that. But what you think that he's adding to us in terms of that goal-scoring dynamic and, and how we can best make sure we continue to, to use it. I think his goal scoring dynamic's been pretty clear to everybody that's loved him and all his numbers and shooting and different types of shots, overhead kicks, left foot, right foot. He can cross for his left, cross for his right. We all know what he can do. Shoot from outside the box, headers. So the goal scoring part was there. And how Arsenal spotted him in the Brazilian fourth division, uh, we criticised the club for many things. But crikey, that's his, that is some spot and some transformation. And this is where I think... People need to give the coaching staff at the club a round of applause because there have been times I've watched his kids play and I'm thinking, you are super talented in the areas that we all like, particularly when we're not having shots. Your brain, Elliot, immediately says, well, we've got a guy that's getting shots every game. Why are we playing him? 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's what people will say. But there are other aspects of the game where he literally did not know where to stand. He did know where to stand, did know how to combine, and was not part of our defensive game and couldn't be trusted. And that's why he was sat down, not for what he can do, not for his God-given talents, not for his attitude, desire to train his energy, his intensity. They're all the things that are gold dust in the modern game. But what I've noticed in the in the last couple of games, and I've seen it for myself at the, uh, against West Ham, is how he tracks his men all the way to the corner flag, how he works on the piston when Tierney pushes up to track his winger. He drops in with the fullback, make sure he t- attends to him. He can manage Mikel Antonio in one-on-one duels on the outside of the pitch where he's totally exposed with no double up behind him. This is important stuff, and he's so agile and quick. The amount of times he won the ball off the ball, pressing people, recovering. When he lost it, he got it back. This is the sort of stuff that solidifies your midfield. This sort of stuff that delays people coming into your final third, allows your defenders to get their feet right. This is the sort of stuff that allows you to get a clean sheet. This is the stuff that will make you get picked for the big games away from home next season. He won't be on the bench anymore. You know, obviously it would be for rotation, etc. But he he is now a trusted first eleven Arsenal footballer at the age of twenty that can score you goals, create you goals, and defend his side with intensity and aggression and intelligence. And that is something we didn't for all what he was at eighteen, he couldn't do that. And that's why we were wondering where he would play. Now for me, I don't have this this obsession with centre forwards with him playing centre forward because that's the next phase of his game now, we'll be teaching him how to post up and link. But I don't see why he'd have somebody with that speed, that intensity, that desire for secondary movements to get into the box. Why would you have him being kicked in the back of his legs by the Craig Dawsons of this world? You just don't need to, because you don't want him standing still. You want him really cutting through like Marnay does, etc. So I think it's a real round of applause to the manager. I will say it because... There's lots of people wondered if he even had a relationship with him, you know. And I think, you know, I, I just think it's a what we're seeing now is a byproduct of probably a number of people helping him with his game. He looks super coach mate on and off the ball, and I and I think the player that I know you particularly really like him. I think you're going to get a, a better player than even you envisaged, Elliot. I, I mean that, and I, I tell you, I've seen it in my own eyes. He's going to be a very good player. Yeah, um, and just to your point about playing him at center forward and getting his ankles kicked, right? I guess it it depends on the type of football we think we're building towards because, you know, like Manchester City use strikers that don't stand between the center backs and get their ankles kicked, right? They they move around; they're hard to track. You look at what Sergio Aguero was for them, for example. Like I I agree with you. I don't want him playing center forward the way Lacazette plays center forward. For us. It's not yeah. his game. He's already a forward for us, mate. The way yeah. he's playing, he's already a forward. We tend to want to move him over a few yards, but I think that restricts him because then we're going to lose our build-up, aren't we? The way we play, we're going to lose our build-up, yeah? yeah? Yeah. And so if we have a real strong Van Persie number 10, then we can play him as a centre-forward. Do you see what I mean? Because that guy will take the post-up, that will take the physicality. He's got a bit more size. He can move the ball around. He can pick people off balance. And Amartel is sitting there like Michael Owen on the periphery of the team, like Young does, and he can run through and do what he did the other day. For this team at the age of 20, where he's playing right now is perfect for me, absolutely perfect. And I think 
that's where he is at this phase of his career. And he he may develop. He may not even be finished growing yet, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? He's still so young. He's so, gotten bigger. I mean, from when he joined the club to now, he's taller. He's bigger. I yeah. don't mean just like added muscle. Like he's, ta- he's a taller player than he was. So he's a completely different player than he was two years ago. And, you know, he's still got maybe got a bit more development to go. And I've said to you before, we said that, you know, Maybe it's the reason why he's not playing because you don't want to be playing people when they're growing significantly because you pick up major sort of bone injuries and knee injuries, etc., which he may have had. And this is why they, they have been really cautious with him because he has got a five-year contract in his pocket and he is a long-term player for the club and a valuable one. And yeah, I share some of those frustrations too that people have had. But when I see this, I say, you know what, Clive, shut your mouth. These guys know what they're doing. Yeah, and, um, we can't deny his development so far. Apart from injury, has, has gone pretty it, well. Well, and it's funny, right? Like I, I remember feeling a little worried at times, like last season when Willian was playing over Pepe. I never really felt worried about the Martinelli situation. I mean, mm. Arteta was always pretty clear in his praise for him, but also that injury he had is not a minor injury, and rushing him back was, you know, potentially a devastating mistake. We didn't make it, and. You know, we've found ways to reintegrate him. I think it said a lot that, you know, he's he's kept the shirt playing well, that Arteta hasn't just looked for a way or a reason or a moment to take him out of the team. And this yeah. thing, look, fans get knocked a lot for being idiots. Oh, fans are idiots. I hear it all the time, and it's total nonsense. Yes, there's always going to be some fans who are more prone to certain hyperbolic reactions and overreactions. It's an emotional thing, fine. But, like, when Pepe's not getting played so that Willian can play, like, yeah, fans are going to be concerned. They're going to be confused. They're not going to get it. You don't hear anyone complaining about Pepe not playing right now. Not really. You know why? Because people look at Saka and people look at Smith Rowe and people look at Odegaard and people look at Martinelli and the way they're playing. And it's not, you know, if you're as long as you're not scratching your head saying what the hell is going on here, I think people are willing to have a little faith and a little patience. I, I, I think, think what we're seeing with these players, Clive, people can get behind that. You know, this, these aren't the days of why is William playing ahead of Pepe. This is Saka and Martinelli and Smith-Rowe and they're scoring goals. So, yeah, there's nothing to complain about. Yeah, I think, look, mate, if if William was playing and we were winning games, no one would say anything. Uh, I, I, I think that's the truth of it. Let's be honest, right? Against, when we lost to Everton, we were asking questions around why isn't this player playing, why isn't that player playing? Right? We, were, we were asking questions about Pepe. We were, we were wondering about major relationships with previous players. And we, we go to lots of dark places when we lose two games in a row. Well, can I just right? stop you for one second, though? Just for one second about that. I do agree that it's results-driven. Absolutely. But I think it's the point about, like, when something looks clear, like, I'm going to bring on Smith-Rowe instead of Pepe, I think fans can, can logical fans, reasonable fans, can say, yep, get it. When Enkedia comes on over Pepe, I think it is harder for us to connect with that decision strategically. So you see what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. There are decisions like Martinelli starting or Smith Rowe coming on or Saka keeping his place that just nobody's going to have a problem with or nobody, nobody realistically, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I've I've said it myself, you know, I I was surprised by the sudden elevation of Eddie Nketiah. Yeah. And then you suddenly read about contractual situations. You suddenly think, well, the manager wants him to stay. You think, oh, suddenly he's playing. And you're thinking, well, hold on. So it becomes much more business-orientated, these decisions, in the month of December, as the transfer window opens up. 
You know, Lacazette's playing. He can talk to. They want him. I do. Do they want him to sign a contract? Or do they not? I'm not too sure. But suddenly he's playing. He can talk to foreign clubs from January the first. My mind is a bit more skeptical around decision making when you're losing in the month of December. You're making strange decisions and substitutions and selections. If you're winning, then things are easier to accept. I do agree with you. You know, there are certain players around Smith, around Pepe. You ask any Arsenal fan which one they want to play. Well, it's, it's no debate, right? So, and, and if Smithrow drops his form and Pepe looks sharp, then we'll go the other way. And that's just the nature of, of the game. And Arteta so, was talking about Pepe today, by the way, and basically said, I know he needs more. T-. Like, this isn't this isn't an Oba situation or, an, you know, was, they say, I know he needs more chances. I'm doing this based on what I see every day, but, I, you know, I need to find him more opportunities. So he, he's at least, for, yeah, from the comments, it sounds like he's not, this isn't a frozen out kind of thing. This is more just a the good players are playing kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I, I, my, the way my brain works, I'm always looking for opportunities to play Pepe and and Saka can't play for me in every game like like he did the other day. That's one, and he needs to look at him and say, "Well, I need to do some of that." I would love to see him on the inside of the team, but I also now seeing the emergence of Martinelli, I'm thinking, well, you know what, Smithrow, you need to be on the inside of the team on occasion as well, you know, so. There's a rotation option there. When you have a sprinting centre forward like a Bamiyang, I think Smith Rowe's a, a very good option off the left. Can you have two sprinters? You know, th- can you have, sorry, can you have three sprinters in your front four? I like the two plus two thing w- that we seem to be doing at the moment. You know, having two in and, and two out that can move. I like that balance. But I, I don't mind seeing a sprinting forward and Smith Rowe off the left. That's worked as well with Saka on the right and having a central player, whether it be Lacazette or Odegaard, in behind. There are options, there are options there. We're developing that group. Obviously, we have a situation with the, with the older statesmen in our team. We're not sure, contractually, and obviously with discipline issues, we're not sure where we're going to go. So I then look at the next guy, the 26-year-old in his prime, our record signing, and I would love to invest some tactical thought process around how we can use that player better. But I'm conscious of even wasting my own brain when I'm not sure he's loved by the club anymore. You know, so let's find out, right? But I would love to see us maximise his potential. I don't think we've done it yet. We've had him on the outside of our team. I think Saka does it better. I would love to see him on the inside of our team because I think around the box, I think his finishing is right up there with anybody we have. You know, and I just think... I just want to see it before before we throw him in the bin. If we are going to throw him in the bin, I want to see him nearer the goal more often with responsibility to be a scorer and see if we're gonna if there's something there. If there's nothing there, then I'm cool with it. But don't throw him away until you try that at least. If he's that, and that's what I would do if I was the manager. Yeah, I I just think it's more interesting right now to focus on the exciting young players that we have that are playing and recognize that there are always going to be some players, whether it's from a contract standpoint or the way they perform standpoint or one way or the other, they're going to be outside looking in. And I'm not talking about the Aubameyang situation. That's an extraordinary and different and unique one. I'm talking about every team has a guy like a Pepe who was expensively acquired, who maybe isn't where they hoped. I mean, you know, Liverpool, Clive, if you want to say that I have a, a deep love for them, which I do not quite clearly. Um, <laughs> You've you know, never, like, never spoken about them to honest me. Honestly, I didn't. I, I'm, I'm only reading off the internet. I didn't know they existed. Um, <laughs> like Nabi Keita, for example, that's a player that they expensively and extravagantly acquired who 
I mean, now he's sort of starting to be a factor for them, but like went long stretches of just, and I know injury was related, but like yeah. no, no team gets it a hundred percent right. And, and the Pepe one stands out because of the fee, but it's not like he hasn't been given chances. I, anyway, I don't know why we're talking about no, Pepe no, right no. now. So it's, it, yeah. it, it, we, we, you'd have to defend it or nothing like that. I hear what you're saying. I, it's just the way my, my head works, mate. I just look at a plan and say, okay, can we, can, we've now got the, the, the four youngsters behind the forward. We've got it. So they're like done for me. So four of them, three positions, decide which one of you is going to play by your what you're doing on an everyday basis. I would like that to be five, if I'm honest. I'd like it to be five. The next man isn't up it is... Five? Isn't it five if you say Saka, Odegaard, Smithrow, and Martinelli? That's four, isn't it? Never mind. Yeah, that's four. <laughs> Don't worry, mate. I'm here. We had a maths conversation before the podcast, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I'm, the, I'm the mask guy, right? So I'd like Pepe to be in that group, to be in that group, right? I'd like him to be in that group, but to be somebody that's right in that group based on how well he's playing, you know, not yeah. because he was a based on the got, price tag, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Elliot. Not based on his price tag, his reputation, or oh, we got to play him because he's got he's on 150, 60 grand a week, and we paid 70 million quid for him, which is 30 million quid overpay, right? So we got to play him. Oh, we got to pay Willian because he's on two hundred grand a week, and we got him on a free, and, and we got to pay him. We got to play him, sorry, because we gave him a five million quid signing on fee, whatever it actually was. We feel duty bound to play him ahead of people that we don't feel so duty bound financially to pay. You know, ridiculous. That these, these things happen when you rip out a squad. You create a dynamic, whether it be financial and player wise, which allows you to select and grow people appropriately, and that's where we are now. That's why selections look better, mm. right? But we had to go through a lot of pain and a lot of payoffs, and we still got a little way to go to get here. You know, and this is what you got to realize when you're building something. You need to rip out people who have things in their contract with agents, etc., that make you play them, and then you have to suffer it. You didn't, you know, sometimes Arteta did it himself. Sometimes it was done to him, right? So... You know, I'm not taking, I'm not absolving from any selection errors because trust me, I was as mad as anybody else. In hindsight, I never get a team selection wrong when we when we win. By the way, yeah, no, (laughs) (laughs) and when we lose, well, it's what you should have done, mate. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, but yeah, I think we're heading to a place now, Elliot, where I think pathways are clear, selections are clear, the players have the problem. You better get into the manager's eye line, or you're not going to play. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, there's, there's just, let, let's do some quick hits. Let's pick out a, a few more little pieces from this game. Cause I want to stay on the game. Um, cause it, it was worth it. And, and there's a couple more things defensively, Gabriel and white, um, a hundred percent of their duels. They won a hundred percent. They, they handled Mikel Antonio. He didn't have a shot. Now to be fair, after the red card, he goes out on the wing where maybe they felt yeah. he could be isolated against Tierney who plays a little more advanced and that they'd get a little more joy there. He was not a factor. They moved him back central late. Um, still not a huge factor. I mean, there was nervousness here until Smith Rowe scores the goal, but not so much because they were doing anything to create that nervousness, just the natural nervousness of being in a one-goal lead in a game that you feel you've dominated and deserve to win. So I yeah. think big credit to Gabriel and White. Tomiyasu, we're not going to do a whole section on him other than to say I think his role continues to grow. The comfort that the players have giving it. You know, early in the season we saw them resist giving him the ball or when he got it, he'd just hack it clear. He's much more involved in the actual progression of play and build up now. 
you know, as you pointed out, Ramsdale targeting him with the long balls. He's become a really great pipeline to Saka. They've built up a good relationship. And, and it is Sanya 2.0. He's not overlapping, but he is getting up the pitch and joining. And as a result, instead of a th- sort of 3-4-3 three, three, or 3-2-5, three, now we have that sort of 2-4-4 four, four in possession or 2 you know, two, three, five in possession. Yeah. Um, he, he is more involved he's in our buildup in the attacking third than he was earlier in the season. And I think that's making a big difference for us that he's given that freedom to go up the pitch. And yeah, I'm telling you, mate, he's, he's trans, he is transformational. Yeah. Don't underestimate his role. He is suddenly unlocking the star. He's suddenly. Well, look there, at how mate. much more right sided we are now. Yeah. And Saka was always here. Right, but yep. why weren't we right-sided more often? Well, maybe Should we didn't t- want to play through Chambers or Cedric or Bell. You know, tell me, Asu. Do you know what it is, mate? It? Shall I tell you what it is? Um, we, if ever there's one to do a scouting video on at Arsenal, it's it's Tommy Asu. I, we, I'm not sure we're going to find the time, but I'd love to do it do because because I'm telling you, if you watch him, his it's it's his early distribution is the key. He's giving you the ball immediately, which means in turnover situation, once he wins it, he gives it. So transition, that means straight away, Saka's getting it with space. He turns around, he's off. Now, if you're having two or three touches, everyone's squeezing the play, which means as he passes the ball, like Pepe was getting it previously, as he's passing the ball to him, all he can do is post up, get smashed in from behind, people put your arm in your back, and all he can do is go backwards. So it's the early distribution which allows the, the winger to turn around, face up, and control the duel. And that's his trick. Now that that could also mean distribution is a little bit loose because he's taking first-time options, difficult options, whether it's on his left foot or right foot. I don't care. I'm chopping it into him quickly. My job is to get it to that guy as fast as possible and then support him. You know, And he does it brilliantly. He recognises tactically what his role is. Offensively and defensively, he's, he's excellent. Uh, I think he's just been transformational for the team. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a shame that we we don't talk about him more. But I think like one of the reasons we don't is that he's solid, and he you know I mean we talked about him a bit obviously with the goal he creates for Martinelli on the right side, the volley goal really great. But like sometimes being just a good, solid, reliable defender who doesn't get beaten, who does his job, who gets up the pitch, connects the play, like. It, you can get lost in the shuffle when you have guys like Martinelli doing what he's doing or Saka doing what he's doing, yeah. and that would be a shame. A, a final point, you know, one of the big worries was that Rice and Suchek would be a problem for us, and midfield I don't think has been the strongest part of our game. They were a total non-factor. So why were you yeah. worried about that? Because I heard the live stream, I heard you and Jess talking about it, and you were both worried. Well, not only you, all the comments were saying, well, I'm worried about Rice and Suchek. Why was you worried about them? Well, first of all, Rice has been one of the best players in the league this season. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Um, they're combative. They tend to be able to, to keep possession, but they, they're going to win duels. They're, they're going to be physically imposing. Um, you know, and, and I think that they have, you know, in Rice, someone who can cover a lot of the pitch and, and win the ball and get past you and, and create attacks for them. I, I just, you know, I, I mean, I, look, I'm not a West Ham watcher, so I, I'm going to so talk out of my depth. I'll tell, like tell, tell you why I wasn't so worried about them, right? So, mm-hmm. First of all, I think Rice was excellent. By the way, I, I think he, I, he's he actually surprised me. Actually, how good he actually is. You know, I haven't seen. I saw him come to Arsenal many years ago as a centre back, and he got rinsed. I thought, what is this player they're on about? He's rubbish. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and then he got moved in the midfield, and he hasn't looked back since. Right? So, like, um, so 
I think his ability to travel and to spot danger and to move it simply is superb. Absolutely superb. He's a leadership, really, really good. And he's a really good runner with the ball and really powerful. But he's playing with Fellaini. He's playing with a guy that is really good when he hits the box. But mm. outside of the box, he's got two left feet, mate. He has. Yep. And and what we did by compressing the play is we forced him to play and he can't play. We forced him to move side to side and he can't. When he's running in straight train lines into the box, well, good luck when they're in charge and he's running in behind the number 10 and Antonio and he's crashing the box and heading it in. No chance stopping him. But when it's a game of football in the centre of the pitch, we killed him. Absolutely yeah. killed him, yeah. forced him side to side. The player I was worried about was Jared Bowen, really, and he, we did quite well with him as well. Maybe the 10 men killed his game later on, right? So, um, yeah, Bowen was another one that, that could have been a, a danger man who wasn't. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, and it's interesting, right? Because I, I definitely think being higher up the pitch helps Thomas Party. I thought this was a good Thomas Party game. I don't yeah. think he's a deepest, nope. you know, play on, his own. on the edge of his own penalty area kind of I mean he can because he's talented and he has good feet but like we saw how much more helpful and influential he can be I think when he's on the edge of the attacking third and and in in midfield but on the halfway line or, or a little higher up um I thought transition Shaka, guy mate that's what he is loose yeah. ball transition get it move it quickly with disguise that's what he is yeah, and Shaka for me, by the way, is an opportunity to still improve. Like, I, I, I this is not me beating Agreed. up on him. He did have some of his giveaways. You know, I thought last season was Shaka's best season ever on, at Arsenal in a bad Arsenal season, to be fair. But, like, one of the reasons is distributed well from deep and didn't give the ball away. But when you're higher up the pitch, we know Shaka likes to see the pitch in front of him, have more of the, the pitch out in front of him. And if we're going to be higher up the pitch, and he's in crowd scenes, we saw a little bit of it against Southampton and a little bit more of it against West Ham you're going to get some mistakes and giveaways and their only real chances came uh, one from an Odegaard giveaway, a really silly square ball in our defensive third and a couple Shaka ones. So maybe some room to improve there either from Shaka, just knocking off the rust or Lakonga getting Um, a look in, but yep. Yeah. I think Lakonga is is more a party player for me. And I must admit, I watched a bit of Wolves in the week and when we were linked to Ruben Neves, I sort of looked at it, looked at a few videos and went, oh yeah, he's all right, but let's move on. Right. So Shaka stayed. I, I wasn't too upset. Yeah. But I watched Neves in the week, mate. And I can see it now. I tell you what, he's perfect for us. Oh, injuries though. Do we? Uh, well, he, you go from I don't, a guy who's always available and isn't exactly what you want to a guy who's well, what you want and can't play. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm sure somebody will tell me Clive's injuries don't get wrap out his injury record to a tweet in the, after the podcast goes out. But I just watching him as a footballer, the way he works, the way he moves, the way he combines, no the way he there. facilitates, but his range of passing. The fade, the dinks, the spin backs. I'm looking and going, whoa, okay, I can see it now for this team. As we've matured, this team, as we've matured, I can see, I can see that. So that was not that link, you know, was a smart link. Let's see, I bet it's not dead that one. Let's see what happens in the future. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I, he may not be someone who was particularly injured. I, I think. I may be actually getting confused. You're getting netto. You think about yeah. netto. Yeah. So, so I take that back. Yeah. And, and yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I apologize pro, for that. What a good player he is. So Ooh. people won't be tweeting at you. They'll be tweeting at me. Okay. Um, but which is, you know what? That just means the world is healing. Nature is healing. Um, <laughs> la- last point here though. We, we've gotten all this way and we haven't talked about the guy who scored the goal that wins it. 
Emma Smith-Rowe comes on and a couple of sweeping moves and all of a sudden there's a goal and it's 2-0 and he settles it right down. And like people keep saying he's over, you know, overperforming XG, it can't stay. But like he has an earlier shot that is on target. Granted, it's not struck with enough power and, you know, maybe he could have played a teammate in. But like he's got a great shot on him. He's an accurate shooter. He does find the net with his second one. And like there is something about this player, Clive, where I, I think he's very hard to pigeonhole. Uh, and what kind of player is, you know, I thought maybe he's a 10, but then I'm not sure about his distribution in the final third, but then he plays on the wing and he scores a ton of, ton of goals. He replaces Odegaard in this game, you know, runs a couple of counterattacks and gets a goal. He he is he is a really special player that I think we are still learning about. But if anything, what we're seeing is that I think there's only more goals to come from him because he is such a good, clean shooter and and really does want to get his shot off. You know, I mean that that seems to be yeah. what he, he he wants to score. That he you know I saw thought of him as more of a facilitator when I first learned about him, but maybe he's just maybe he's he's more Martinelli than we give him credit for. He wants to get goals. You know. Yeah, I think he's more Jack Greenish than we give him credit for. See, I yeah, love <laughs> I love doing this with players, and people say, "Oh no, he's not him," but I, I'm willing to take it online. I love comparing players to other players. Just say pictures in people's mind. I saw James did a wonderful. Uh, comparison this week we spoke about Martelli on that goal and everyone said it was more Thierry Henry and James said it was very much Theo Walcott like I thought that's a great one because it, like Theo Martelli's punchy muscly very sprinty and Theo was a fantastic finish on the sprint while he was sprinting forward he could always find those side names I thought that's a, he doesn't mean he's Theo Walcott. He's probably got more on the ball skill than Theo Walcott. But you can see what I mean by comparing him. And I look at I look at Smith Rowe and I can't help but look at Grealish, who also plays on the left, also played as a ten. Those are his two positions. He gets the ball, he turns around, he carries and he shoots and he creates. I think with both feet, that goal was no accident. He knew exactly what he's doing. Back through the legs, very difficult skill. He did a very similar, when he approached the goal at the last goal against Aston Villa, I thought he's he's not going to score, he's not going to score. He got a bit of luck, but he he seems to have taken on board his that end product is important for him, and he's taking the shots on. There was occasions in this game, not to critique him because Odegaard's been really really good. I felt there was a chance to let his left foot go, and he looked he dummied it and looked for a pass, let it go. Let yeah. it go. You've got to let it go. You know, these shots matter. They mean something. Things happen. Don't turn away from the shot. Let it go. Don't worry if the crowd are laughing at you afterwards, like <laughs> Thomas Party does. <laughs> let it go. Because this is, you've created a space. You're in the right zone. Let it go. Smith Rowe's letting it go. And he's getting rewards for it. And if Odegaard wants to play, he better start doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, um, I just think now the interesting thing that comes next, Clive, is that, first of all, Maybe the good kind of selection headache for the for the manager and that he's got to decide what he does with Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, Lacazette. Um, Smith Rowe looked really fresh earlier and when he yeah, came he on. And he needed that. You know, he needed I, that. He looked he needed that sit down. Well, you know, I know you don't like it, mate, but he No, no, no. I, well, and he had a little bit of an an, inj- an injury to start with, so I think it's mm. good to make sure it's fully healed because that's a player you don't want to rush back and then we know his injury track record. I, I would say what's interesting about this next game. We're playing a Leeds team that is desperately, desperately out of form, which is usually our kryptonite, but also desperately missing players. It's a way where we need to show that we can do the things we do at home, and it's against a team that presses aggressively. 
which has sometimes been a challenge for us. We even saw against a bad Southampton at home, we struggled to come to terms with it early until finally overcoming it. If the game goes ahead, which hopefully it will, it is a perfect, perfect opportunity for us to keep this going because they're weak, they're missing players, and you know they're in a terrible, terrible moment. So I, I hope that we can take advantage. We're not going to talk about the COVID situation today. It, it is clear that the Premier League may be heading towards a pause. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope fans stay on the ground. But there are four already four matches for tomorrow suspended, postponed, yeah. whatever. Um, fixture congestion is going to get to be an issue. Maybe it's the FA Cup that takes the brunt of this and gets pushed back or moved or postponed itself so that they can replay get these. There is a, there is a winter break coming up soon, and and you know where they where each team has a week off, they they split it to keep the league going per se. That's an opportunity. If they can limp to that point, they may take an opportunity to take a, a yeah, little break. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll see it's how we go. It's just fingers crossed, right? Because like yeah. none of us want to go through you what, know what we mate, on Wednesday, we want to be doing podcasts about the 2006-07 season again for, for <laughs> three weeks waiting for football to come back. At the, at the West Ham game, I was thinking, on when I was, when I was going, I was thinking, you know what, I wonder if people are going to turn up. Because some of the news is so scary, right? You're wondering if people are going to be there and... There was there was hardly any spaces in the ground. People did adhere to things when I was anyway, and yeah, people want to go to their football, right? So I hope it continues. I hope it continues. Yeah, and I'm really really happy for you that you got to be at the game. By the way, the West Ham game. What a great experience. Um, loved hearing your drunken singing on the instant reaction, and I hope to hear more of it uh, as we are celebrating. Well, let's just say it, the title. If we're the only team left playing fixtures, I think the title is back on. Um, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Fiddick. Bought me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we, let's see. So tomorrow we play Leeds. So yeah, there'll be an instant reaction tomorrow. And then uh, a lot of our scouting content will start on the Patreon side, our transfer scouting stuff as the rumors heat up and, and so on and so forth. So lots more to come. And then we'll have a regular pod on Monday as usual. So wherever you are, I hope you're doing great. I hope you enjoy the game. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 Leeds nil. No. 